brother. Have we started the fire? Yes. The fire rises. You know the deal. Successfully complete the mission, you get 10 years off your sentence. You're my dream, you're my nightmare. Life is a dream, she don't fight for Welcome to Task Force X. These are your brothers and sisters for the next few days. Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things The Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and most actively on Twitter at TFRBatPod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, maybe suggestions for future episodes, you can reach out to us at TFRBatPod at gmail.com. My name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and I'm once again joined by my right-hand man, my my partner in crime, as it were, for this episode, Joe Fornerado. Joe, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good, Eric. Uh, I'm I'm enjoying this uh, this Saturday night with a a movie that's in the theaters that I'm able to watch at home, which is pretty crazy. While we're, we're it's very uh, it's very fun that we're able to talk about a movie while I can watch it on the screen for the first time. It's pretty crazy. That is, yeah, that is very nice, and it's a luxury that we're going to lose soon, but <laughs> but for now, yeah, it's great. And the movie that Joe is talking about, and the reason we're here for this episode is we're, we're, we're not really talking about Batman today, but we are talking about Batman's world, because we went to Corto Maltese with the Suicide Squad, and we're here to talk all about it. So, Joe... Um, you and myself were very lucky. We got, we were able to get early screenings, uh, um, the week before this movie released and we got to, we got to take a nice long drive, both of us and go see this film. So, uh, what did you think of the, uh, how, how was your early screening of the suicide squad? It was fun. Uh, it actually reminded me, um, People aren't going to like this, but it reminded me of seeing Justice League because I want to say I saw it at the same theater I saw Justice League at for an early screening. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was about an hour drive for me, probably an hour and a half with, with traffic on a, on a Thursday night in New Jersey. But it was just such a fun experience to watch a movie in a packed house with fans and we haven't done that in so long um i know i haven't anyway especially an early screening like this i've I've been lucky enough to be uh able to go to a few of these and they're always a lot of fun yeah it, it was the same experience for me it was 
Uh, it was in Denver, technically Westminster, Colorado, which is right on the edge of Denver. Um, but it was a huge AMC theater. Um, I got there nice and early, so I got to stand in line for a while. And what was fun about that is we haven't been able to really gather as fans in a long time. So it was fun because, you know, when you go to these early screenings, it's always it's it's purely fans. So we had this long line of people and we were just chatting about different things. I was wearing I was wearing a Zach, uh, uh, Zack Snyder's justice league shirt so that obviously started some conversations but good ones it was all friendly and and nice so that was fun um but yeah just watching watching this movie with a packed theater of of rabid fans was was really nice it was a fun experience and this is um i know it's available on hbo max but i just want to say this movie is, in my opinion, a film that absolutely deserved to be seen on the biggest screen possible with the best sound possible. It's great that it's on HBO Max, and if you don't feel comfortable going to a theater, that is definitely a good option. But, man, watch it. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I watched this in theaters first. What about you, Joe? Yeah, I think the the fan reactions for a film like this were what I took out of it the most. Um, you know, like you said, just the, the big screen and the sound is definitely a factor. But um, with this film, with the with the gasp moments or the um, just all the humor, it was really fun to just have those reactions fill a theater. And I know that just from my personal experience watching at home the following night with just my wife and I, um, doesn't have the quite the same effect. Um, she did not go with me for the early screening, so I watched it with her for the first time. It just didn't have that same feel to it. And like you were saying, you were waiting in line. That's really cool. Um, my theater, I went to the second showing, so it was in like a smaller, not a smaller theater, but just a standard theater. I know you were lucky enough to see it in Dolby, which I'm definitely jealous mm-hmm. of. Um, so we actually got our seats right away. And um, so I didn't have a lot of a lot of conversations about the film. I did wear my All the God shirt. So we, we had that in common where we wore something Zack Snyder <laughs> to show, <laughs> hey, it's okay to like Zack Snyder and like this movie. Oh, thank you for saying that because that's absolutely true. In fact, I don't know if people know this, but James Gunn and Zack Snyder are friends. So, <laughs> Yeah, but- I... We don't know what to what extent they're friends. They're definitely at least um, respectable co-workers at the least. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, and Snyder's an executive producer on this. I'm not sure the legal reasons as to why he is, but, I mean, he's he's not rooting against this film. That's for sure. No, absolutely. And, and yeah, it, so I, I've seen it um, twice now. Well, I'm, I'm in the process. I don't know if you can count this, but I'm watching it right now as, it, as we're talking. It's on my tablet. So, um, But I've seen the movie twice, and I was lucky enough to see it the first time at my early screening in Dolby. And last night, my wife and I, as, as we're recording this, last night, my wife and I went to go see it in IMAX. Um, so, yeah, I've seen it on two of the, the biggest and most boastful sound theaters that you, that you can so far. And... I will say Dolby's a great option. Now, IMAX was fun last night, but my only slight issue with IMAX is sometimes like my my wife thinks it's a little too loud. So take that how you will. But yeah, we and we she enjoyed the movie last night. She laughed quite a bit. So that's a that's a great thing. But we're gonna get into some. Um, we will give a spoiler warning before we get into like deep details on the film, but. 
before we get there, I want to get some uh, some spoiler free thoughts. So, what are your what are your spoiler free thoughts on the film, Joe? Um, my spoiler free thoughts are I I spoke to you after I saw the film the first time, and I told you I and I've said this before. I think with these films, when I see a film for the first time like this, it's hard for me to get a grasp on how I feel about it because. I get way too excited for these films. I get anxious. I wouldn't say nervous, but I get like anxious and, okay, how's it going to be? How am I going to feel? And sometimes it does detract from me on, on like my reactions and stuff. So I, I will say seeing with a crowd definitely helped me. Um, mm-hmm. I think I really, really liked it the first time I saw it. And then I talked to you and hearing your reactions. And then after I saw it the second time, I, I think I do borderline love this movie. Um, there is a lot of humor, but I don't think the humor undermines the heart. And I think that's a key point. Um, I think that's a really important thing with these films for me personally, because I tend to lean more towards the more serious films. I, I love the heart that the DC films have. I think every DC film has made me get emotional at one point or another. And Mm -hmm. I think that is so, that's their strong point, in my opinion, the DC films. So I think a film that can struggle with story or whatnot, if they can get me in an emotional way, I'm just in. And I don't know if this film got me as much as it did some other people, but on my second viewing, I think I really bought into it better when I could just sit back, relax, and know what's coming and really just fall for the movie. And I, uh, to me, it is right up there with the best of the DC films. I know a lot of people are saying it's their favorite DC film or it's the best DC has done. To me, putting it up there with the best DC films isn't a slight, even if I put it below the best DC films, because I love most of the DC films. So even if this film might not be my favorite or my third favorite or my fourth favorite, it's it's right up there with the top DC films for me. And it'll be heavily in my rotation because it's a different tone for these films. And that's what I love about DC, other than the heart. There's there's something for everybody in all these films, and this is just another example of a film that feels different, but mm-hmm. feels like it fits in the world. And I think that's the biggest compliment I can give this film is it is its own thing, and it is just a blast from start to finish. Yeah, absolutely, and and honestly, and I haven't even talked to you about this yet, but my um, so I actually I do I love this film. I really love this film. Now, I say that with the caveat of I was on a really, really high high uh, when I left the the early screening of it. Um, I think part of that was, you know, just watching it with the crowd that I was watching it with. There was so much enthusiasm. There was, you know, so much. There was like a fervor in the room. Everybody really wanted to get into this film and just, just see what James Gunn had in store for us. And and it was such an interactive crowd. It was it was fun to watch it with. So when I left that theater, I was almost I almost had like a little bit of a buzz. I was so excited. Um, so last night after watching it for the second time, some of Knowing what I was what I was going into, and then just watching it with a little more of a critical eye, 
it, there are parts of it that did slightly drop for me last night on the second viewing, and we'll get into that once we get over the spoiler wall. Um, but I do think, like, for me, just just from a critical standpoint, I think this movie has a really, really strong first act and a really, really strong third act, and I think it just slightly lags in the middle, just a little bit. If 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 that that's probably my main gripe about this movie but overall yeah it's it's a it's a hell of a good time i really enjoyed getting to know some of these characters that that honestly are extremely obscure um (laughs) and some of them you still don't know very much about to be honest um but every one of them was a fun casting and yeah it was like you said it was it's a thrill ride from beginning to end um, with just a little bit of a lag in the center, but so much fun, and and I can't wait to watch this movie again and again, honestly, because it's one. And like you were saying, I don't know where ex- I've put it in a slot on my DCEU list, but honestly, that middle section kind of floats a lot. It depends on on how you're feeling that day, honestly. Like because like you said, there's a there's a lot of different tones in the DCEU. And I actually enjoy that because depending on the day, depending on how you're feeling, what you're wanting to watch that day, um, there's a lot of variation you can choose from in the DCEU filmography. So I really enjoy that. Um, I, that I get, I guess that's kind of what you were going for, right? I mean, there's, there's depending on your mood, there's a lot of different ways you can go with these films. And I think that's kind of a benefit over the other side of the fence. Yeah, 100%, because I we were actually discussing Birds of Prey the other day, and you were saying, you know, how much you love that film, and I'm like, I don't know if I quite love it, but I think it's really a lot of fun to watch, and you're like, oh, you should watch it again. I'm like, oh, I watch that film all the time, <laughs> and you're probably like, you just said you don't love it. I'm like, yeah, but it's only an hour and 45 minutes, so like, yeah. I put that movie on all the time, because it's a quick film, and it's fun to watch, so like, mm-hmm. I just if I'm in the mood to just watch something fun and just have it on in the background at night or whatever, cause that's not what I can put on during the day. Um, it's just, there, there is something for, for every mood you're in. And I'm with you with the middle section of my DC films. Like this movie could be seven one day. It could be four the next day. Like it's, and it's really just whatever I feel like watching at that moment, because I don't think my top few will ever change, but it doesn't matter because whatever movie I'm watching at that moment is, is might as well be my favorite film because it's just you know a lot of people say like this is their their favorite dc film and you know they're almost i don't want to say they're using that as a slate to the rest of the films because i think i don't want to put words in people's mouths either but for me like it just i i really do just love all of the characters in the dc universe and i i do enjoy most of the films i really enjoy all the films to some extent so mm-hmm this one just fits into that and it is just such a you know we we're kind of you know just circling around here but it is just it's its own thing it's it's a different it's a different feel for this movie and i was i was really excited about that yeah for sure okay well so there are only really i was trying to think of questions that i could ask before we get over the spoiler uh area so we could just yeah it's not that's kinda, not easy kinda, it's not. So the only two questions I could really think up um, to, to keep it spoiler free are wh- what were your favorite character or characters 
And what was your favorite song in the film? So, Joe, give me your give me your favorite character or characters if you have them. We'll start there. Okay, well, that's even kind of hard. Um, but I without yeah without getting into their story in the movie. <laughs> my favorite character was Milton. I mean, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's not even a spoiler because if you didn't see the movie, you're like, who the hell is Milton? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my favorite character it's funny because like i hadn't even really thought about this kind of stuff but honestly i think my favorite character is flag i think i was really surprised by how much i loved him in this movie uh joe kinnaman yeah yeah as joe kinnaman as rick flag and and i really liked him in the first one I but did he i think he elevated the performance yep. in this one yep yeah so i i will go with um if I have to pick one favorite character, I think I have to go with him. I mean, Idris Elba as Bloodsport is awesome. Uh, he is probably the... I, I mean, would you say he's the main character in an ensemble? Like, uh, he's, he's the lead. A, yeah. But I I think between the two of them... I mean, there's it's hard because... And it's it's hard with without spoilers. But I, I love... Um, is it David Desmulchin? as polka dot mm-hmm. man he i i really thought he was going to be my favorite going in because i loved that the sense of humor from him in the trailers and mm-hmm. he was exactly how i expected of him to be but uh i guess i wanted more from him than we got and that's not really a spoiler i i don't mean more screen time i just mean um just more in general from him, I guess. Like I wanted him to be more of a focal point, I guess. Well, I think, I think in, are you talking about polka dot man or. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking with, with Idris Elba as, um, as blood sport, I think everybody expected to go in to the movie and love him. And you do. So oh, yeah. he really wasn't a surprise to me. I really enjoyed, um, blood sport. Idris Elba was great. Um, I think I absolutely think that um oh god and her name's escaping me right now the actress that played Ratcatcher 2 um she's fun- she she if I had to assign those roles I think that she is absolutely the the heart of the film um she's she's really she's really great and she has an awesome backstory but yes. my favorite and let's say, my my goofy favorite. I mean, I absolutely love King Shark. He's he's phenomenal in the movie. He's hilarious. But actually, my favorite, my absolute favorite character in the film was a surprise to me. My favorite actually ended up being John Cena's Peacemaker. Mm-hmm. And from the trailers, that was my biggest concern. Was there was there was a couple of jokes in the trailers especially from his character that I chuckled at, but uh, more than most, I think, I think most people were kind of eye rolling and not really kind of turned off by the jokes in the trailers, but I chuckled at him and I was like, okay, well this is what he's going to be, but there's a lot more to peacemaker, especially towards the end of the film than just what you get in the trailers and just the, your, your kind of idea about John Cena. And I think, um, the reason that he turned out being my favorite is because you know when you're going to a movie and you're seeing John Cena in a movie, he's very limited with his range. He's not this amazing Oscar-winning actor. He's never going to be. 
But I thought he brought a very good performance to this role. And I really enjoyed John Cena as Peacemaker. Yeah, I, I did enjoy him a lot, too. I mean, it, I didn't want to, you know, sit here and name every uh, every character because I think the whole cast was great. And Daniela Melchior or Melchior, um, not yes. sure how to pronounce her name, but that is Ratcatcher, too. Yes. Yeah, and, and obviously, I mean, it, it goes without saying that Margot Robbie, is, she's an excellent Harley Quinn. That's that's nothing new. Yeah, so, it goes to, goes to show you how great the cast is that we, we named people that weren't her. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so what about favorite song, Joe? I, because, you know, the, the Suicide Squad movies, the I mean, the two that we have, obviously, they're – and I think it was much – better done in this movie than it was the cut of the other one that we got. Um, but the needle drops where I thought they were pretty good in this movie. So I wanted to get your thoughts on, did you have a favorite song amongst them? Yes. Um, I don't even know how I knew this song ahead of time. If I've heard it on the radio or what, but I love, um, suckers prayer by the Decemberists. That is going to be my favorite for, uh, for the film. I, I just think that's a great song. I love how it's used in the movie. Um, and it, yeah, I'm going to go with that one. Okay. Um, and I don't know anything about the band. I don't know anything about the song, but I know I've heard it before and I just like the song. The, it's a great song. I mean, it's a great choice. I, <laughs> I had a real hard time, um, not choosing, Folsom Prison Blues from Johnny Cash because I absolutely love that song. Um, but I think it's just because of the placement. I really like I enjoyed where that was placed. But my favorite is actually Rain. And I think it's um Grandson and Jesse Reyes. Yes. I really I really enjoyed the moment in the film that they used that and the visuals just went with it so well. So yeah, it, for for me it was Rain. But there's I really like this soundtrack. I've I've listened to this soundtrack several times since they released it on Spotify the other day, and I, I've actually worked it into my uh, my workout playlist. So, yeah, this is a, I think this is an awesome soundtrack, and I think it's used um, it's used a little more sparingly than than in the first film, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and I I like how we were actually discussing this a little bit uh, when we were talking about the first film, and I just love that Gunn tends to take songs that are known but not really forgotten but they're just not the cliche songs to use and i i always appreciate that he tries to bring attention to some songs that aren't played you know every five minutes on classic rock radio he he tries to you know play not necessarily deep cuts but just stuff that might not get as much of attention as some of the you know the the in your face obvious stuff oh yeah well i mean one of um Guardians of the Galaxy, the Volume One mixtape is still one of my favorite movie soundtracks so far as as needle drop songs. I love I love that soundtrack. So yeah, James Gunn is is very good at at choosing songs for his films. Well, and say what you will about Volume Two as a film, I, I think the the soundtrack is excellent. It, yeah, it is. I don't think it quite stands up to the first one, but it, I mean, because that had so many iconic songs. Um, that again, like you said, are iconic, but they're on that cusp of of not being used all the time. So yeah, yeah I yeah, I really enjoy James Gunn's musical choices. And before we get over the spoiler wall, I do want to say that 
um, the score is really good in this film, and it's it's used a lot more than um, than I know. Obviously, there's issues with the first film, but the the score for the first film was great, but you didn't hear it a lot. And I think you do get some moments, especially in the more heartfelt moments in this film, you hear the score a little more. And the, so I really the enjoyed third that. act, the uh, the third act, um, no spoilers, but when it gets really amped up in the third act, that score really kicks in. It's it's one of my favorite parts. For sure. But I think that's as far as we can go without <laughs> without spoiling yeah. the movie. So right now we are gonna we're gonna dive into the spoiler cave. This is this is your last warning because we are we're gonna go into it from here. So, Judge, I wanted I I wanted to ask this question. <laughs> the, what does what does James Gunn got against birds? <laughs> I I tell you what, man, the bird thing that pissed me off. I was like, what? Not just, the first scene is is like, all right, you're setting it up to just show that. Um, part of my language that, that he's just an a-hole like he just kills the bird for no reason and um, we're talking about savant here he just yeah. kills the bird for no reason and you're just setting it up to show you like listen he's a jerk like he he's just that's who he is um but when they light the birds on fire for no reason <laughs> yeah, like i so... i still don't understand that i watched it again and i'm like okay maybe there's something behind these birds like no it's just oh he's dead so we're gonna kill his birds so uh, my wife and I are, are bird lovers. We we have a bird. So I I actually I thought, you know what? It's probably a good idea if I warn her before we go see this. Uh, and I'm glad I had seen it first because I told her I was like, look, some crappy stuff happens with birds in the movie. They're not real. Don't worry about it. It it really didn't happen. So just to warn you. And I'm glad I did cuz as soon as that happened, because Savant is throwing his ball around the cell and he kills the bird in the corner. And as soon as when the movie opened like that, my wife just cut some some glaring eyes at me. And I was like, I told you. So, <laughs> and then, But the bird and then, you know, James Gunn's humor getting the best of him with the uh, when Savant bites it and the bird is shown eating his uh, his remains. That was pretty good. Yeah. So that was. So yeah, um, the, it's hard the, to talk about this film without talking about the deaths because no, they, and that's and that's where I want to go to because I mean yeah, there's a lot of surprise deaths and you get a lot of them at the very beginning. So <laughs> what what was the what was film, the one that surprised you the most? Well, I I will say the way this film started is just brilliant. Um, you can so it's just the whole I mean. Is it Blackguard? His he's the first one to go. Oh yeah, he sets well, everyone. Well, technically it's Weasel. <laughs> well, technically Weasel ain't dead. That's what's even funnier. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I forgot. So my favorite scene in the film, my favorite laugh, I should say, is Weasel uh -huh. because, and I will say, seeing it in the theater was the best because that reaction when Weasel just can't swim. And Waller's reaction to him not being able to swim. <laughs> I was dying. And the theater was dying. And I was almost happy just because I didn't want to see Weasel for a two-hour movie. No. Yeah, I, I think everybody... Well, first of all, he's unsettling to look at. And I, he looks good, which is... I, I oh, yeah. 
was excellent. But he's creepy. Yes. And and weird. And yeah. obviously that's what they were going for. But yeah, oh, yeah, that was that was one of the biggest laughs the first night I went to see it in the preview screening. And it was absolutely one of the biggest laughs um, last night when we saw it. Yeah. And I think what makes it even funnier is is not only the fact that Weasel drops out of this plane into the water as they're heading towards their mission and, and drowns because he can't swim, but <laughs> the reaction in the control room where all these people are, are that work for Amanda Waller and, and they gather intel and stuff, nobody realized that, <laughs> that Weasel couldn't swim. And, and yeah, she's just... She's just looking at this guy in the control center, and yeah, <laughs> he just has this guilty look, and it is it is absolutely hilarious. But and, yeah, you know the scream that Weasel makes as he's jumping out of the plane, <laughs> yeah. and then I think it's, it's Savant that that goes in and gets him out of the water, and he's like, "Weasel's down," because <laughs> I was like, "Oh, maybe he's gonna be all right," and they're like, "No, nah, Weasel's down." So it was. And then the, that was another thing. Like it was the film, the like that first part is honestly, I could watch that first 15 minutes over and over again. Cause so much is going on with the, with them placing bets on who's going to bite it in the mission. Um, like having their own little Deadpool was really funny. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, Blackguard setting everybody up. And then, then the, when shit just gets, you know, it just goes downhill really quickly. Yeah. Well, and the crazy thing to me is it, without being um, over the top, like in your face about it, they show you how cold and calculating Amanda Waller is because this first team that she sent to and they go to Corto Maltese. That's the mission of the movie is to go to Corto Maltese and to um, to destroy any evidence of this of this Project Starfish. And we'll get into that. But this first team that you see with Blackguard and Savant and Weasel and, and even Rick Flagg and Harley Quinn um, and Javelin, and they, she sends this first team basically as cannon fodder as a distraction to get the actual team in, yep. which is so cold. Which is – it's even weirder that he, she sent in Flag, but as we go – and I'm actually like kind of throwing this together in my own mind now – as I'm watching and thinking about it, I'm like, oh, it doesn't really make much sense that she's getting rid of Flag. Well, if you get to the end of the movie, it, it kind of does make sense that she's trying to get rid of Flag. Mm-hmm. For um, sure, because it, well, I think she knows that from the beginning that that Flag is he's going to do what's right, not necessarily yeah. what she wants. And Harley Quinn is a wild card, so I think she actually did want to get rid of both of them. Yeah, but she also, like, she can't make it look like she's trying to get rid of them. And right. she also, it's more like they're expendable more than the other team. And it makes sense for them to lead the original team because they are, like, not necessarily them, uh, just Flag in general, or Flag specifically leading that team because he was the leader of the Suicide Squad. So they can't know about the second team, and the second team doesn't know about the first team. It makes sense from a story point, and it it really did make for a, a really fun intro because mm-hmm. she basically did what we thought the filmmakers were doing was use these 
C, D, E list, F list, whatever you want to call them, these random characters just to go in there and die. And Mm -hmm. that's what it was. And it's a shame that one of them is Boomerang. I think we all knew he was going to bite it, but man... I, seeing Harley and his relationship was really, really fun, though, and how she was so upset when he died. Yeah, and and I do love that. I mean, I'm going to say this right now. This is a sequel. Um, yeah. How <laughs> it, is it? It's, it's, it's a standalone sequel. To me, I put it in the same category, and this might ruffle some feathers. To me, it's The Dark Knight. Like... You don't have to watch Batman Begins to watch The Dark Knight. There's not a lot of continuity there. But Well, I mean, I think an even better example, and I said this, I think I said this to somebody on Twitter, it's like Batman Returns to Batman. Yeah, that's true too. Some things look different. Everything's not in continuity exactly as you would like it, but it's absolutely, I mean, the characters know each other because yeah. you've got that relationship between Harley and Boomer and Flag. So they absolutely know each other. So this is this is a sequel without tying. It's a comic book sequel, honestly. I mean, it's a a new creative team getting a fresh start on a comic book. That's exactly all it is to yeah. That's and that's all it is. I think if you've seen the first one, it makes you appreciate the carryover characters that much more. But if you hadn't seen it, it is perfectly fine to just jump in right here. You're not lost at all, and that's perfect. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it's so, the yeah. proper that with. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, right from the beginning there, we get <laughs> our de- we get Blackguard uh, dying immediately because they go out on the beach and and um ob- apparently he has he has uh done the the double cross on the suicide squad at Waller and he's given the Corto Maltese army information that they're coming. So, he thinks he's safe. He walks out on the beach and immediately gets shot in the face. And and from that moment, yeah, I think you know what the gore factor is going to be because that is – his head is horrifying to look at. Yeah, it got into what he was doing. He's like, listen, we got – the first death has to be to set the stage, and that's yeah. what it did. And I've seen people critique the over-the-top gore, and I'm kind of just like, okay, so what is – the the line for people like to me gore is gore like i don't Mm -hmm. know and i I don't know if i've just become desensitized to it because it's like who cares like it's all in fun to me i I don't know i've seen so many movies with gore that i'm never like you know what it was good until like the end and then it just got too much to me i I don't know it just feels like a gory movie is going to be gory throughout so i'm not surprised when it's still gory at the end of the movie yeah, and I, I'll say this. Um, there were two very, very young children behind me in the theater last night. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't recommend that. Um, I mean, parent the way you parent. I'm not here to judge how you parent, but that is not a film I would uh, – it's not a film I would take uh, small children to. <laughs> I will say they, they really enjoyed King Shark, but mm-hmm. – yeah, um, but yeah, it's an R-rated it's an R-rated movie. So take that how you will. I knew what I was getting into going in, and I I enjoyed myself. But so we go we go from all of these deaths on the beach. We know that Rick Flag has made it out, and we know that Harley has made it out. Um, they're the 
sole survivors of the uh, of the first crew. But then we find out that this crew has has been a diversion for the main crew of the movie to make it onto Corto Maltese. So we have um, Bloodsport as the leader. We have Polka Dot Man. We have Ratcatcher 2, King Shark, and Peacemaker. So, <laughs> oh, well, first of all, before we get there, what did you think of the, because uh, Savant is the last one to eat it because he, he tries to escape the beach. And that's when we get the, what we know is coming. We know we're going to get Waller blowing the head off of one of these people, and Savant is the one that we get. So what did you think? Of, first of all, his terrified scream when he's running from the beach. Yeah. I love that we got to see what it would be like if they blew off the heads, because it was only implied in the first film. We never got to actually see, you know, mm-hmm. not, you know, his head blow. Where here, it's it's pretty great. <laughs> it's yeah. you know, that, sorry to say, it, it, you know, it's a movie. It's 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 what you want it to look like. And yeah, it was. You knew you had to get at least one, and that is the only one we get in the film. But it was mm-hmm. uh, it was definitely worthwhile. And yeah, the fact that it's Savant, I think that's just. It's fun because you start the film with him and you show what a jerk he is, and then he's the first one to get his head blown off and the only one to get his head blown off because he's <laughs> he's running from the beach. It's it's great. Yeah, and Michael Rooker, that terrified scream as he's running away, <laughs> just coming out of Michael Rooker, that was that was hilarious to me. Yeah. So, but anyway, moving along. Um, we get this, uh, we get this, we find out that Rick Flagg has survived and Waller wants, wants the main group to link up with Rick Flagg and, and apparently save him from these, uh, from the soldiers that he's been kidnapped by. And I think that brings us to another hilarious scene because you have this, uh, this kind of rivalry in the movie between Peacemaker and, um, Bloodsport. And this scene where they find where Rick Flag's at, and and they go into this camp, and it's like a, it's almost like a Lord of the Rings, Gimli and uh, Legolas competition of how many people they can kill <laughs> and in what way. And it, it that that was also a hilarious moment to me. What do you think about that one, Joe? It it was a lot of fun, but I will say as the as that scene was going on, I felt what was coming. And I was a little horrified as it was happening because as <laughs> going on, I'm like, these just look like regular people standing around. They don't look like guards. I'm like, something's up here. I I think they're gonna just be regular people. Now I didn't expect it to be um what it actually was. I don't think I was more just like, all right, something's up. I didn't see, you know, flag sitting there with you know, the woman drinking a cup of tea. But man, that that is also one of the funnier scenes and like it's this is the only property you could do that with because you have bad guys killing good people and you're okay Mm -hmm. with them they're (laughs) they're bad guys it's it's fine like they didn't mean to kill innocent people but they did because they're idiots and you know they're in they're in a place that they're not familiar with and they just come in like she said typical americans come in gun blazing and just shoot people. Well, the, and that's the hilarious thing to me about Peacemaker is because he doesn't think he's a bad guy. No, I mean, like he thinks he actually thinks he's thinking rationally. Like to him, this all makes perfect sense. 
Yeah, and he thinks he's a hero. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. And John Cena just plays that perfectly. But, oh, I forgot to mention the uh, – so we, before we get there, we get the, the little camping scene where we get the setup of Polka Dot Man oh. has, to re- has to release his dots because he's hey, got all the – You forgot your favorite scene. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. So we get this rash that Polka Dot Man's got, and he's got to go release all these dots in the woods, and Bloodsport sees him doing that as they're camping. But the, <laughs> then – so as they're all here camping – um, is it is it Bloodsport that see? Oh, it's the rat. So it's Ratcatcher Rat Catcher 2's rat Sebastian that warns Bloodsport that something's going on, and the camera pans and you see King Shark holding up Ratcatcher 2 with yeah. her head almost in his mouth. He's about to eat her. So that obviously causes a disturbance, and then you get my everybody wakes up and you get John Cena. Standing amongst this group of people that have just woken up just in a pair of uh, white underwear, which was probably the biggest laugh of of both theaters I've been to because it just it lingers on and on on this scene. And it's just I thought it was freaking hilarious. (laughs) That is hilarious. It is an awkward scene. And just the camera angle makes it even more awkward. (laughs) It's so bad. It makes him look so weird standing there like that, too. Um, now, I will say full disclosure with the King Shark scene. I I wish King Shark had been dialed back a little bit. I I think it got to be a little too much for me with the humor with King Shark. Uh, I know most people love him. And I most of the time it is freaking hysterical. But I think sometimes it was just too much for me. But it mm-hmm. didn't it didn't overpower the film to the point where I was rolling my eyes. It was just kind of like I, I think that was the one thing in the film that if I had to really criticize, it was it wasn't necessarily that it was undermining serious things. It mm-hmm. was more it was okay, here's a funny part with King Shark coming. I'd rather get back to the interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, like I can that. understand that criticism. I think I enjoyed him so much because it was just like this is so it, over the top. And with it worked better for me the second time because I knew what to expect. I knew what was. coming. Yeah. And with and, and sliced alone was hilarious. I mean, it, <laughs> the things he was saying in sli- in the sliced alone voice, it, it, it cracked me up. I thought it was hilarious, but I do understand. I, I do understand that it could be a, a bit much. Yeah. So. But yeah, without going granular on every detail of the film, we know that the the mission is, and now that that this this camp has been invaded, we found Rick Flag. He's with the he's with the Freedom Fighters of Corto Maltese that now Bloodsport and um, Peacemaker have murdered half of. Uh, <laughs> um, their mission is to uh, the Freedom Fighters are wanting to overthrow the government in Corto Maltese. And the Suicide Squad is here to um, demolish any records of this Project Starfish, which we come to find out is Star of the Conqueror. And we'll get into that in a little while. But um, we also find out that Harley Quinn has survived and she has been taken to the Capitol. Um, there's this that they have this new president that's overthrown the family that used to be there. And <laughs> this president 
wants to marry Harley Quinn. So what what did you what did you think of the of the Harley Quinn and the president scene? I'm actually at that scene right now in the background. It's this is so this is um I don't know what I could say about this scene. It's just it's perfect Harley. It really is. It's you know they have the they have the sex scene, I guess, and I will say, like, I don't think there's anything in that scene that couldn't be in a PG-13 movie either. I, it no, was done yeah. in a very comedic fashion. There was nothing over the top with it. It just gets the point across, and I was fine with it. Um, but the the red flag speech from Harley is just hysterical. She just, you knew it was coming. I don't know how you felt. I knew it was coming. Like, she's going to kill this guy at some point. And I was just waiting for the bullet to come and it did. And I was just like, Oh damn. Like, yep. All right. There it is. And then her speech after she shoots the guy while he's bleeding out on the floor, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's hysterical. Like I, I know some red flags, mister and killing children. Definitely a red flag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that was, I haven't asked her for sure, but judging by, uh, by the laughter that I heard from her, the moment where Harley says that uh, rest in peace to that, <laughs> that absolutely oh, beautiful monster between your legs. I think that was the moment that cracked my wife up the most. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, that it it's a great scene. And I agree with you. I don't think the, uh, the quote unquote, the sex scene is, is anything that couldn't be in a PG 13 movie. It goes, it it's more is implied than is actually seen. Yeah. So yeah, but I, I think it's also like, it's a great moment for Harley because she shows that she's not making the same mistakes that she did with the Joker. Oh, 100%. And it's again, it's tying back into Harley's character from her past films without, mm-hmm. you know, you know enough to get the point. And yeah, I mean, it's a, honestly, you can even argue it's a reverse James Bond tactic. Like, you know, she, she's being the James Bond where she's sleeping with the villain and then, you know, killing him. Yeah. <laughs> so we go from um, we go from the camp to where the Suicide Squad needs to their their next part of their mission is getting into the city and um, finding the thinker at a nightclub because the thinker is working for the Corto Maltese government. He is in control of the the project Starfish. And uh, we, we get a lot of hilarious scenes with this bus driver, Milton. <laughs> and Joe mentioned Milton earlier in the in the film, but he's he's kind of just a, a side throwaway character that is that is the Suicide Squad's driver. But it's it he has the Milton conversation in in the uh, Star of Building. Was it is it Jotunheim? Yes, Jotunheim. Yeah, Jotunheim. In fact, uh, his his bus scene is is in the background right now as I'm watching it. But um, yeah, the Milton conversation in Jotunheim towards the end of the film is another one of those hilarious moments between Harley and Polka Dot Man. But yeah, so so we go through this uh, so basically, and this is the part that kind of that lags for me. This this middle part of them going to find uh, the thinker at the club, and then everything at the club, and then going to rescue Harley. That's that's kind of the part that just lags a little bit for me. What what about you, Joe? So I actually I don't I don't disagree, but I 
I think at some point in the film, you have to have the quieter moments and the character moments. And I think yeah, you do. the way to do that in a, in a fun way, in an interesting way, without taking away from, you know, moving the film forward. Because mm-hmm. you, you do get a small action scene. Well, you get, you get the big action scene from Harley right before that, which is excellent. Um, we didn't really touch on that too much, but after she kills the guy and then has this great action scene of, of escaping or no, I'm sorry. That's later. Yeah. No, she escapes later. I apologize. Um, I do love that. She says like, I can't believe there was a bullet in the gun. I don't know. Did she get the gun from him? (laughs) It was in that case that they, that they ran into. Okay. Yeah. I have to rewatch that. And I didn't notice where the gun came from, but, and the other thing I wanted to bring up too, I forgot the transitions when the, the first transition with the, the blood turning into Warner brothers pictures, I thought that was hysterical. Yeah. That's, that was great. So that was, that was fun too. Um, but as far as the second act goes, I actually really enjoy the second act. I think it was because it, it has to show the team starting to actually become a team. And it, (sighs) You know, when when uh, they they raid the bar, you know, the court de Maltese government comes into the bar and they have to decide what to do. I think it's really smart what Bloodsport decides to do is basically, OK, the three of us that know what we're doing, mm-hmm. we're going to let them take us. You guys get him out of here because they're not going to suspect you guys. Right. And I think it was a it was a really uh nice way to set up the second you know that that little action scene with them in the truck and again you get the fun character stuff at the bar you know the you know they get a round of drinks and yeah hey you forgot the rat that that was fun it yeah it was and honestly thinking about it i don't know what i would i would change or cut in the middle it's just something about it last night i was thinking about it was just like man this is a little slow well, yeah, and, because uh, the rest of the film is such a high pace. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's so it what just, it was. That's really what it is. Is it? It's the only part of the film that really breathes. Because I remember even when I first saw it, the third act for me kind of felt like it went on a long time mm-hmm. because it is kind of a long third act of nothing but action, where it just kind of keeps going and going because you kind of have the two. You know, and I hope I'm not jumping too far ahead here, but like the, you kind of have two parts to the third act. You have them getting into the building and and trying to get the drive, or you know, once they find out what's going on with the drive, you have that part of the third act, and then you have the Starro fight. So it is, the third act does kind of go on. Where I was like, wow, like I feel like I've been watching the third act for a while. Like I wonder how much is left. The Starro fight isn't that long, but mm-hmm. it does, it does just kind of keep going. Where, like you said, with the second act, it it slows it down and it, it kind of feels I don't want to say it feels like a different movie, but it just it's the only time in the film that you really do just sit back and breathe a little bit with the characters. Mm-hmm. I really now as much as I've I've kind of griped about it right now with the second act, I do think that one of my favorite moments in the film is in the second act. And it's when they're on the bus and they're headed towards the city and um uh Bloodsport and Ratcatcher 2 are having this conversation about their fathers and you get this kind of you get this flashback of Ratcatcher 2 and her father and 
yeah, I mean, it's it's heartbreaking, really. I mean, that that her her father um, loved her and was very you know very supportive, but they were homeless, and he had a heroin addiction, and he died from his from his addiction. But but he was the one that came up with the technology to to control the rats, and so yeah, I that that little look at her past is just is just heartbreaking. And and I I love the connection between Bloodsport and her, like that it's awesome. I love that uh, she reminds him of his daughter, which we didn't even talk about. But the whole premise of Bloodsport being on the team is because his daughter has uh, committed a crime and is her her trial date is coming up, and Waller is threatening you know to send her to Belle Reve if he doesn't help with the suicide squad. So then you get this kind of this parallel of that with Ratcatcher two and Bloodsport. So yeah, I th- I thought that was a really heartwarming moment. And I, I love that moment on the bus. Yeah. The first time I saw the film, I think that's where I always have trouble when I first see it because there's so much going on and I'm still like on the high from the action and all this. And then they slow it down real quick for a heartfelt moment. It didn't mm-hmm. resonate with me as much. And this is not a critique of the film. This is me personally. I'm like this a lot with with films where I don't get emotionally invested the first time I see a film because of so much going on in my head and all that. Um, I did buy into it the second time. But it's still, I guess, I don't know if it's a good comparison or not, but it's almost like the bar scene from the first film where you have that moment that gets you. Like you have to have that strong Mm-hmm. character moment that gets you and it is such a nice moment between the two of them with the you know he's talking about how his father was such a jerk to him a terrible father and she's telling him what a what a troubled human being her father was but mm-hmm. all the troubles he went through she was she he still loved her and it was it was really just a nice moment. And I don't think it resonated with me as much as most people, but I still appreciate the moment. In a film like this, it does what it needs to do. I don't need I don't need anything as extravagant. Uh, extravagant is not the right word. I don't need anything as heartfelt as some of the other DC films because I don't think this is that kind of film. But no. it gives you just enough to feel what the characters are feeling. And I got to say too, totally side note, the argument between Bloodsport and his daughter in the beginning of the film is freaking hysterical. I love that scene with the stupid watch. You're like, why would, why would you want to watch? <laughs> yeah. watch? I, I love it the is a funny that scene. they make it the younger generation in this film. I, I like the, the projector. That was funny. Um, well, a, a Peacemaker has a millennial comment. Yes with her sleeping or something like yeah she's always sleeping it, it those are like i thought those were fun moments are, are they a little bit I don't, not over the top but are they a little bit much sometimes yeah but they're fun they're just quick little quips and i, I don't know i'm okay with that mm-hmm. well yeah and and from from the point on where we were just a minute ago we we go into the actual main event of the film and it's uh it's the squad invading Jotunheim to to get these records, these elusive records of Project Starfish, and we come to find out that um, Project Starfish is Starro the Conqueror, which we all knew from the trailers. Um, he has been trapped here for, for years and years, and the Thinker has been in control of, um, of studying him and, and, I guess, torturing him, 
and there's you find out that all of these political enemies of the state are trapped in this building and they've been they've been used as test subjects for Starro and they've got the little Starro um I don't what do you call them Joe <laughs> um cuz they're they're not technically Jaros but uh the little mini Starros yeah his little replicants I guess yeah they're um, his little um uh, I don't know. We'll go with just, I'll, I'll call them mini Staros. Yeah. That are they're attached. The to, they're really face huggers. I mean, they really are. Yeah. Yeah. But there's all these people that are trapped in Jotunheim and they, they pretty much say that they're dead. Right. I mean, that yeah. Staros controlling them. They're dead. So, once, which is once Staro latches on, it kills them. It, it takes over the brain and, or shuts down the brain. So yeah, yeah. they made that pretty clear. Um, so that's why there's no remorse when you when you kill someone with a you know a, a star on them. Yeah, and and then we find out that um, from the thinker that the U.S. government is involved and they know about this and they've been covering it up, um, which was a big shock for me. I did I didn't expect that in the movie, um, and Rick Flag is not having it, and he he wants to he wants to let the world know what's going on. He's, he's over being Waller's lapdog and he just, he wants to uh, get this computer drive that has all the records on it and he's going to expose the U S government's involvement. And then we find out that, um, well, I get peacemaker. He's not really a double agent. I mean, he's there for a particular mission, but he is Waller's backup plan. He is there to, to destroy the records and make sure it doesn't get out. So, so yeah, then we get, which I think is probably the best fight scene in the movie for, in my opinion, anyway, is between Rick flag and peacemaker. And I know this was a moment that you weren't, (laughs) well, I won't say you weren't crazy about it, but this was, this was not a moment you were happy to see, right, Joe? (laughs) No. uh, Well, yeah, as far as the best, it would have to be between this or the Harley, um, I don't know if you want to say breakout scene uh, for me for being the best action or best fight scene. This is the best one-on-one fight scene to me uh, Mm -hmm. without a doubt. And yeah, this was the biggest gasp in the theater. Um, And they leave no doubts about it with Rick's uh, death. When, when Peacemaker stabs Rick through the heart and they show that graphic of the the piece of tile I think it was that actually goes mm-hmm. through the heart. Um, br- I will say that's a brilliant edit. I, I thought that was a really great um, choice to show that the way they did. It was really well done, yeah. And it was uh, it was it was tough because and this is where seeing the first film really does add to Rick Flagg's story. And because I did really like him in this film and. I want to give James Gunn credit for for using Kinnaman as Rick Flagg because he didn't have to. You know, a lot of people were like, oh, he's just going to cast the old guys and from the old film to just kill him off. And, okay, did he kill off the old characters? Yes, but he did not waste them. Rick Flagg is the centerpiece of this film. And mm-hmm. Joel Kinnaman, like, he he's one of the stars of this film. And... I felt his death, man. It was it was rough, and it's well, I, it's not yeah, easy to watch. 
No, it's not. And, and I, I felt it too. And I think that's because, um, Gunn really got a, he got an awesome performance out of Kinnaman here. Yes. And I I, I will say that. I thought Flag was going to die going into this movie. I didn't think he was going to survive. But I didn't really think about it. To be honest with you, I never even thought about it with Rick Flag. I I guess I just assumed he wasn't going to be a big part where I would care. Does that make <laughs> well, sense? That's, like, and that's the thing. The further we went along in the movie, I was like, okay, maybe they're not going to kill Flag because he's a big part of this. Yeah. Um, and 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 they're making you know. He he had a awesome performance in the movie, um, and they really they really made you care about Flag. I, I'll say more than than I did in the first one, um, because he was kind of. And I hate to say this, and I'm and again, we haven't seen David Ayer's cut, and I hope we do at some point. But he was kind of generic soldier number three in the first movie. You know? Yes, and I yeah, and I will say just from the book, I read the the novelization of. Suicide Squad. Just from reading that, you get way more characterization from Rick Flag, and the book isn't even the air cut. It's it's mm-hmm. like a mix of the two. But um, yeah, so I will say, like, it's just another another uh, you know compliment I can give is during the scene, I never got. I, I can't say I never got mad at Peacemaker. I, I but you felt like he didn't want to do it. And I know, yeah, I appreciate that you're watching it and you're going, oh, you son of a, you know what? But like, you get where he's coming from and you could see that he like he's respectful with flag the whole time. He says, don't make me do it, Colonel. Yeah, I mean, it's a very tough dynamic to perfect there. And. Like, you're rooting for flag in the scene, I mean, I. I was anyway, but well, yeah, and the and the conversation they have before the fight starts, um, that you just reminded me of that. I was thinking about it last night when I was watching the movie for the second time. There's an admiration there, like Peacemaker admires Colonel Rick Flag, and he yeah. does not, but but and he does not want to do what he's about to do, but he has to. Yeah, like it's that's his mission, and he's not going to stray from the mission. And you, you under like you, even if you don't agree with it, because it's not the quote unquote right thing to do. It's that Watchmen argument where mm-hmm. is it worth? Like it's already been done. Why risk? You know, the safety of humanity, or in this case, why risk something getting out that's going to cause panic and all this other stuff? Once it's already been done, it's done. We did what we needed to do. It was destroyed. We should be able to move on from this, but it's it's a great it was a great twist that I didn't see coming. And it then it sets up the you know the the next part of the final act. And and again, a great great job of storytelling where it goes back to that eight minutes earlier thing when it, it has the after um excuse me after peacemaker kills flag and then you have the standoff with ratcatcher too and then bloodsport drops down oh no i'm sorry do, do you see bloodsport before the eight minutes earlier no right well it's it's after because you see what it, 
you see what happened in that eight minute span, and that eight minutes ends with him dropping into the the event that we saw with. Yeah, but um, it ends. I'm sorry. When he he has the gun to Ratcatcher, and then it stops and goes to eight minutes earlier, right? You don't know Bloodsport drops there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's it ends on like the, and I I think that was and that was really cool because you didn't know what exactly caused the the building to collapse when it did. And then we have another cut to see what the other team was doing. Uh, he did that. And it was really, it was really fun way of, of telling the final act there. Yeah. It was building anticipation too. Cause you're like, well, what's going to happen there? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you get the, you get the building. Exp- we're not going to go over every single detail. We we'd be here for hours, but yeah. you, we get the building. <laughs> yeah, you get the Milton scene because um, the, Harley is with the Harley is with the team now because they've rescued her. She's part of the final act here. Um, but you've got Bloodsport and um, you got Bloodsport, Harley, and Polka Dot Man, and they're going through the, these offices in in Jotunheim, and and they've got Milton, the driver of the bus, with them. And Milton gets shot, and they. And uh, Polka Dot Man is very upset because him and Milton have gotten a little close, and and Harley has no idea who Milton is. <laughs> Even Bloodsport, uh, when Blood, I, it's one thing for Harley to go, "Who's Milton?" But when Bloodsport goes, Milton's still with us. Yeah. <laughs> I I thought that was funny. He's like, "What do you mean Milton's still with us? He's been with us the whole time." He's like, "I thought he was back at the bus." What's <laughs> <laughs> hilarious? And when Harley because, peeks honestly, around like, the cubicle, as he goes. Oh, that guy, Milton. Milton. <laughs> that, and I don't know if you thought about this, but like when they're running into the building and you see Milton behind them with the bag, I was thinking, like, what the hell is Milton doing there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it reminded me, it reminded me of, and this is not a critique because I love the film. It reminded me of, um, oh crap. Uh, holy crap, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, death uh deadpool it reminded me of deadpool 2 where they had the um test uh (laughs) um x-force when he was putting together x-force and he had the guy with the mustache guy with no powers yes yeah i don't remember what his name was paul it was like a generic name i it reminded me of that it very similar yep yeah yep but anyway, we get um, from there. Jotunheim kind of implodes uh, from from some bombs that they've set that go off early, and Starro's escaping. But before we get the Starro escape, you get Bloodsport actually encountering the scene from eight minutes earlier, where he he falls through the building and lands, and he lands where uh, Peacemaker has a gun on Ratcatcher two because she's just seen him murder Rick Flag, and. This little, there's no words. They just shoot at each other, and it, it harkens back to a joke earlier about using smaller bullets. I thought, as ridiculous as it was, I thought that scene looked great, with Bloodsport's bullet going through Peacemaker's bullet, and then striking Peacemaker in the neck. That was awesome. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought it was great. Um, what I didn't realize the first time I saw it was that in the beginning of the film, it was peacemaker saying he uses smaller bullets mm-hmm. yeah so it was idris elba one or i'm sorry Bloodsport uh one-upping him to use smaller bullets in the final act so i thought that was cool yeah so so we um rat explains what's happened with the records and everything and that he, he killed rick flag 
And then we really get into the, I guess, the second part of the third act, which is Starro the Conqueror escaping. And we get the Suicide Squad versus Starro the Conqueror. So I, I wanted to ask you, what did you think of Starro in the film? How did you think they pulled him off? Well, first off, I really wish sometimes we didn't know crap going into these films. Because could you imagine if, I know there were some set leaks about, like, they had some um, people with the the face huggers on their faces. And I know there was rumors for a while about Starro because of those set picks and all that. But could you imagine if we went into this film and had no clue that Starro was the villain? Like, I, I just, I think oh, about... that would be insane. It would have been so awesome because I couldn't even imagine, like, it's Starro. Like, you're getting Starro in a Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad film, and that's ruined for us in like rumors and set photos like man how cool would it have been just to see that like totally surprised but i will say the i think starro looked great i think most of the visual effects in this film were really good i i think even the like the like the face huggers i guess were practical because we saw set photos with them yeah, I think that yeah, they were prosthetics, I believe. Yeah. Obviously they probably had tracking dots in the center so they could get the eyes to move and stuff, but Yeah. But the um the big uh you know, the big kaiju version of Starro was awesome. I think he looked great the whole time. I never had any issues with him. Uh such a cool, you know, I think Starro in a Justice League film might be a little corny. Starro in a in a Suicide Squad film directed by James Gunn is just perfect. I I loved it. I think it fit this tone of the film perfectly and I think it's just I think it just worked. I I don't know how else to say it other than like you didn't the plot of this film is not why I went to see it. <laughs> like it's just you know, the whole court the Maltese government overthrowing thing and all that. Like, I don't need anything elaborate. I think this film gave us exactly what we wanted when it came to a plot and an awesome villain. Yeah, I do too. And I completely agree with your point about, I think this was the perfect film to bring in a character like star of the conqueror, because again, as you said, there are certain characters that just don't work in a serious live action movie. And I just don't know that you could do – I don't – well, you could probably do it, but I don't think the audience would take a character like Starro seriously in, say, like you said, a Justice League movie. But for the Suicide Squad, worked perfectly. And yeah. for some reason, I feel like the stakes of Starro work better with this, with this type of movie than they would have with a more serious film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I thought he looked great. Um, I thought – the way that they I, I thought they explained it so well the way that he controlled these people and it set up the stakes of the suicide squad not just versus starro this huge starfish kaiju but <clears throat> also all these people that he's now controlled on the island because that makes it so that it almost makes it a zombie film at that point yes that that was the feeling i got absolutely so yeah, I had a whole lot of fun with this whole third act. I loved that you get to see how cold that um, Amanda Waller is yet again because after the building's destroyed, after Star has escaped, they um, they let 
Waller know that Starro's escaped. She knows what's going on, and she's like, okay, the records are gone. Not our problem. Um, the building's destroyed. Uh, if Starro takes down Corto Maltese, it actually works out better for us. So just leave. You're done. And you think for a split second that that's actually going to happen, and then I guess uh, Bloodsport's humanity comes through, and he decides to turn around and take on Starro. And the squad joins him, and Waller is – you think Waller is going to set off the bomb in, in um, Bloodsport's head, and then I think this was one of your not-so-favorite moments. She gets knocked out by someone in the control room, so she doesn't have the chance to kill Bloodsport. Well, I, so now, I don't have a problem with her getting knocked out. I, and I will say – you have to come up with a way for them to be able to do what they're doing. So I think it's smart to do that. Um, Cause there's no other way for them to be able to do what they're doing. I don't want the whole cliche. The button's not working. You know, I can't blow them up that like that. That would have been dumb. Mm-hmm. And they set it up that they were starting to like, they were starting to feel she was doing things that were too far. You could tell throughout the film that the rest of those those workers were having not second thoughts, but they they were just they were starting to doubt what they were being a part of. And I think it did make sense for that to happen. Yeah, I agree. Um, but past that point, uh, you you get the the final fight between the Suicide Squad and Star of the Conqueror, and I thought it was done really well. Um, even as goofy as it would as it would be, you know, to, to think of before you see this film, it works so well with Harley um, piercing Starro's mm-hmm. eye and yeah. then Ratcatcher's rats going in, it, it's swarming Starro and basically eating him alive from the inside out. <laughs> for me it works so well and I if you'd have told me that was what the ending was before I saw the movie I wouldn't have believed you yeah I think that was one of the things I, I really questioned going into the film was like okay how is the Suicide Squad going to take out Starro like mm-hmm. how is that going to even work logistically and I think we all kind of assumed Ratcatcher 2 was going to be a big player in this but I yeah, didn't for expect sure. that and I when it happened I was like oh duh like, obviously that's going to happen because it's so it's been set up since the beginning of the film with her and the rats. And it, it makes sense. And you're right. Like, it's so bonkers and it's so out there, but it just fits this film. It really does. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree. Everything, the the teamwork aspect of that, that final battle with Bloodsport calling out the things and, and him being kind of, you know, stuck and, you know, she she says uh, she said she was going to get him out of there alive and, and she ends up saving him and covering him with the rats and stopping all the, uh, you know, the zombified uh, citizens of Corto Maltese, the Corto Maltesians. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, they, uh, so yeah, it was, it was a really, to me, it was a really satisfying conclusion. It was. And I, and I love, um, and I score, love the little. Again, the score was so good. 
Yeah, and I love the little ending flashback there while while Ratcatcher Two is 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 using her her machine there to call all these rats. You get a flashback of her and her father once again, and yeah. and it's Taiko it's Taiko Watiti, and you see him. You know, she asks him why rats, and he says that um, what is it? He he says rats are the most um. I can't remember exactly how he says it, but the basically they're and despised of all creatures or something. Yes. And if they have value, then, then we all have value basically is the gist of yeah. what he was saying. And I, I love that moment. It's, it's an awesome moment. It's touching moments between her, her and her father. And, and you see kind of her inspiration and why she does what she does. So yeah, that, that was an awesome little moment, and it also gave her kind of a heroic ending there at the end of the movie. Yeah, and it wasn't – again, it was another heartfelt moment that there wasn't an undercut of humor when there was a heartfelt moment. They, they really did a good job with that. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask – we've kind of gone through uh, – first of all, we find out right after the title card at the end of the movie that Weasel is still alive. <laughs> so – yeah, it's not a mid credit scene. It feels like one, but it's technically not. It's before the credits. It is technically, yeah. And uh, it's it's after the title card, which is why I think I must mistook it as a mid credit scene. But I did too because it felt like one, but I actually took uh, notice of that the second time I saw it. Yes, and we we get the um we get that weasel still alive, which is kind of funny. He he gags up some water on the beach and runs off. So we know Weasel's still alive, and then the actual post-credit scene is the fact that we find out that Peacemaker is still alive. And I wondered how they were going to do this. I wondered if he was going to die in the film, and the series that's coming up is it was going to be a prequel. But now, yeah. now I think it, it's going to be a uh, a continuation of his story from this film. Yeah, now it definitely seems like it's going to be a continuation. I I thought he was legitimately dead, and I. I honestly think I might have preferred him being dead and the series being a prequel mm-hmm. because I think it works better in the film that way. But I also wonder if the post credit scene was an afterthought once Gunn came up with the show idea. But I think Gunn has gone on record to say there were no reshoots for this film at all. And I think so, yeah. So... That is fascinating to me that the post credit scene, if true, the post credit scene was actually filmed prior to him deciding to make the Peacemaker show. Because he thought up the he thought up the show during the pandemic. Yes, and this was done filming before that, correct? It, so far as I know, which I don't know, I don't know if that's true though, because last year during Fandom they were still working on the movie. And that was in the pandemic. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. Either way, um, Peacemaker's still alive. He's he's got a show coming up, and it looks like it looks like uh, that this is uh, this is Waller's punishment to the to the people that um, kind of overthrew her in, in the last moments of the film. They it, it seems like they're assigned to Peacemaker. Isn't that the way it came across to you? Yeah, definitely. That that they're in charge of whatever the next mission she has for Peacemaker, they're going to be in charge of running it. And that was so that kind of makes sense. And that kind of fixes one of my nitpicks with the film, like I was telling you, where 
I don't have a problem with them knocking her out. I had more of a problem with her waking up and not like doing something about it. But I guess that was her way of getting back at them where she's, she's not going to just do something, especially if she doesn't know exactly who hit her. She's just going to be well, from now on and use that as leverage. Yeah. And technically, I mean, she can't just get rid of them because they know what she's hiding now. So, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, that's 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 the film. So, uh, do you have any favorite moments from the movie, Joe? Um, you mentioned Weasel's supposed Weasel's, death at the beginning, but yeah, that, <laughs> that that is definitely my favorite laugh. Yeah. Um, it's tough to to really narrow down one favorite moment. The Milton stuff really does kill me. I think the Milton stuff is hysterical. <laughs> My favorite moment of like action might be it might be Harley's Harley's breakout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a really good scene. Yeah. Um, for me, so far as a humorous moment is definitely is definitely the whole scene in in the camp with um, everybody waking up because. King Shark's trying to eat Ratcatcher and Peacemaker in his freaking underwear. That it still cracks me up. I think that so far as humor, that's my favorite. Um, because I really love, I really, and I forgot to say this earlier when Idris Elba or Bloodsport says, Why are you <laughs> you're in your tidy whities Yeah. And Peacemaker says, That's racist. That cracked me up. <laughs> I that is so funny. But, um, action, I think so far as the action scene. I really love towards the end of the movie and the final act when Bloodsport is just pulling all of the all of these all of this weaponry off of his suit. Yep. I love the way that they pulled that off. That was so great. Yeah, his so, weapon really cool effects. They they had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, it seems like you would think, okay, yeah, that's LexCorp technology, even if you don't know that. I mean, it's just really cool. I loved it. Um, we've talked about a few, but do you have any other nitpicks of the movie? Yeah, I kind of went through them as we were going. Um, no, I think I, I think I pretty much touched on the ones that, and they really are nitpicks. I really did have a lot of fun with the film. So my nitpicks are the King shark stuff to me was really my biggest nitpick. I think it just went, that was the only part. The first time I saw the film, I will say this, the scenes that bothered me went on longer the first time i saw the film last mm-hmm. night when i watched it i was like oh that that was only like a 30 second shot like i felt like that went on forever the first night and i think it was because i was so like when king shark is going and i know you said you'd like this, this scene where he's in the aquarium and those little little things are are like and he thinks he has friends and he's kind of dancing oh. with them. so i felt like that scene went on forever I watched it last night and the scene is literally like 30 seconds. Like it, yeah, is it doesn't go long scene at all. But when I first saw that scene, I was like, I did kind of a, Oh no. Like, what are we doing here? I want to get back to what's actually happening. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. that was more of my problem was I was so invested in everything else that was going on. I wanted to get back to that. So last night that scene did not bother me in the least because I realized, okay, I'm going to get back to the stuff I want to see anyway. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for me, I think I, I've mentioned it. it. The my biggest nitpick is is the pacing and the center of the movie. It it just 
it hit me hard last night. It just kind of slows down a little too much for me, um, mm-hmm. but it's not a huge issue. Um, I think it's uh, part of me. Part of part of it is just that the first and the third act are so strong. I think. Yeah. So yeah, and, and one thing that I noticed last night, and I think it's because I was watching it in IMAX, it stuck out a little more. Um, the CGI on the rats at the end of the movie is a little, you mentioned this to me after the first viewing and I didn't really notice it that time, but last night, yeah, the rats, the CGI on the rats, when they're swarming Starro, it sticks out as not, could have used another pass. I think. I think when they're in such a big, vast group, it's gotta be so hard when they're individual, they're fine when they're, yeah, because Sebastian, the main, the main rat, he looks great throughout the movie. And I know that um, he was actually a practical rat a lot of the times too. Yeah. Well, yeah, but there's moments obviously that he was he was CG. Oh yeah. So it was um, more. Uh, but I, I agree with you. He looked pretty good. My other, I forgot we hadn't brought it up. It's kind of a nitpick. How did you feel about Polka Dot Man's mom? <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't mention that. Yeah. So so part of. Um, Polka Dot Man's motivation is that he he hates his mother, and so he he sees he sees his mother everywhere. I thought it, I thought it was hilarious, um, especially when when Bloodsport used his hatred of his mother at the end. He said, "Starro's your mother," and he saw this gigantic kaiju version of his mother. And sh- I thought it was hilarious. I thought that part was hilarious mm-hmm. because. It was set up, but I feel like mm-hmm. there was one time in the film where I was like, all right, we get it. It just went on a little too long. It was the dancing scene in the bar when he was dancing and all of yeah. a sudden you see his mother everywhere. I'm telling you that affected that. It, there's parts in the center that that affect the pacing a little bit. And I thought that was part yeah. of it. I think that might have been it, too. But I, I, I get what he's doing. He's trying to show like he is totally screwed up from his mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel terrible for the woman that's playing that character because like, like <laughs> it's such a it's such an odd part to play. But, it is, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I thought the ending with that was really funny where Bloodsport goes at your mom and I I did not care for his death, uh Polka Dot Man's death. I I I thought that was a little I don't know. For that part of the film I didn't want his death to be a joke. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I can get that. It, you can but add that to my nitpicks too. A very minor nitpick because I just it felt is. like, oh, I like it. It was. I felt like his death could have been handled a lot better. But I get it. He he went out as a superhero. That was his thing. I just I wish it wasn't done in a joking way. Yep, I'm with you. All right, so uh, so real quick, Joe, give me some final thoughts on the Suicide Squad and give me a Batarang rating. I've really got to start thinking about these Batarang ratings before I do them. <laughs> um, the, you know uh, it's coming. <laughs> and it's also tough because I'm such a, a stickler for like, okay, how many Batarangs can I give this? Like, what would I give BVS? What would I give Justice League? So like, I, and we've never done those, so I would have to like really write them down and think about it. But uh, so... <laughs> my final thoughts on the film is it is it is a really fun film i don't do i i mean is it a great film i don't know i i'm not a critic like i i i don't pretend to be a critic if i like a movie i like a movie mm-hmm. i had fun with it i think the tough part for me 
when it comes to the DC films and this film, are the characters enough for me to watch this over, say, a Shazam or an Aquaman or obviously like a Justice League or a PBS? Like those are my Wonder Woman. Like those are all my top films because I love those characters so much. Mm -hmm. Do I love and I'm biased like I, I fully admit that I'm biased to those characters. So I don't know if I would watch this film over those films on a clean slate. It would be because I felt like watching something different. And that's my biggest praise for this film is it mm -hmm. gives me a different feel than the other DC films. It's not a film that I'm going to watch because I feel like, you know, a hero movie or because I feel like watching something heartfelt. Like, yes, it has its heartfelt moments, obviously, but it's not to me. That's not what this film was. This film was an action comedy mm -hmm. with some great comic book elements. And it felt like a suicide squad comic. And I will say the suicide. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm coming to this part right now where the fight between Cena and flag is shown in the, in the helmet. Great, it's very idea. well done. That was a yeah. very well done scene. Um, but it's just, it's a fun action comedy, and it just feels like something different. And it is definitely a James Gunn film, and that's what we want: is we want these directors to do what they want to do, and to tell their story. It feels like a Suicide Squad comic. Full disclosure: Suicide Side. I'm sorry, Suicide Squad comics are not my favorite comics to read for basically the same things I'm saying about the film is mm -hmm. I'm going to read the characters I love more than these types of characters. But this film did exactly what it was supposed to do. It builds on the characters that I love from the first one. Uh, unfortunately it dispatched a couple of them, but <laughs> I, uh, I did have a lot of fun with it and I've already watched it. Uh, you know, if you count tonight while we're recording, I've watched it almost three times already. And it does seem like a film that I could just kind of put on and have fun with it. So that's going to be a huge plus. I'm going to give it, what do we do? 10? Mm -hmm. I will give it, and this isn't like, I feel like this is a bad grade, but it, it I don't know, seven and a half. I'll, I'll go seven. Yeah. I'll go 7.75. I feel like that's a lot better than seven and a half. <laughs> so, wow. That's, that's super specific. Yeah. Wow, specific. I'll, yeah. I'll go 7.75. <laughs> I don't okay. know why, but that's what we'll go Awesome. By. All right. Uh, yeah. I, I agree with almost everything you said. This is, this is not the kind of, um, this is not the kind of film that you pop in when, when you want just a, just a smashing superhero movie. Like, so I agree with you there. And, and just like you, I mean, I don't read a lot of Suicide Squad comics. This movie actually made me want to read more, though. I will say that. Um, I do want to dive a little bit more into some of these characters. And I think that's that's a compliment when you see a movie and you want to read some of the source material behind it. Um, so, yeah, the key word I think you used, and I think it's a bad word with, with comic book films sometimes, and I don't think it should be, this movie is a ton of fun. I had a blast watching this movie. Um, tonal issues aside that I brought up earlier after watching it last night, it did go down a little bit because when I left the theater the 
first time, I was ready to give this this movie like a nine and a half or a ten out of ten. And last night, just watching it the second time, watching it with a little more of a critical eye, really thinking about it, it did go down a little bit. Um, and that's just because of, like I said, just little tonal issues in the in the middle uh, that that I feel like just kind of slow the movie down just a little bit. Uh, but overall, I love the characters. I thought it was I thought it was a blast getting to know some of them. It was sad seeing some of them go, but that's what you were promised. And I like that James Gunn delivered on just about every promise that he that he gave us. So just seeing this movie, I, I want to see it more. I've enjoyed every time I've seen it. So for me, this movie is it's an eight and a half out of ten. Yeah, that's for me. That's I, where I expected you to come. I, I didn't expect you to be that high after the first time, but I will say. Don't don't go back and look at it with a critical eye. Love the fact that you you got to see it at a nine and a half and a ten. Like I, I see people get mad when people are like, "This is the best movie ever." No, that's what we go to the movies for. I want mm-hmm. everyone to see every movie and say, "This is the best movie ever." It doesn't hurt anything to say that. No, no, you're absolutely right. And I mean, the only reason I did look at it a little more critically is I, I want to be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, we're we're recording a podcast. I want to give open and honest thoughts. And so I looked at it a little. Uh, I thought about it a little more. I guess last night. So, but having said that, I mean, eight and a half is still pretty high. Oh, yeah, I absolutely. I really enjoyed this film. It's so, funny because I'm the opposite. Like I, I'll watch a movie and I'll be like, "Hey, it was all right." I'm like, "Convince me to love this, everyone. Like, talk to me, tell me why <laughs> I should love this." And I tell, I think I talked to Brendan Lowe uh, yesterday about. It. I said I'm easily influenced. I want someone to convince me to love this movie. <laughs> like <laughs> for sure. And after talking to you about it, like I and I thought about it, I I did feel that way. Like I really was like, "Wow!" Like all right, yeah. More I talk about it, the more I realize how much I did have fun with it, and I need to sometimes just chill out and go with. Mm -hmm, for sure but there we go that is our review i guess of the suicide squad so i hope you and you guys enjoyed that conversation but before we go joe i didn't tell you this beforehand but we actually have an email all right yeah it's uh it's the the guy's name is jeff he didn't give us his last name but he sends us he said hello eric and joe or any other guest who happens to be on I just wanted to let you guys know I just found the show a few days ago while searching for new Batman podcasts to listen to. I've since binged all ten episodes. You have also, oh, so he so he's not quite caught up. We have we have a few more now, um, but I've since binged all ten episodes. You have, and I'm looking forward to more. This is a fun show and feels like such a natural conversation every time. Thanks for providing great content. Two quick questions. First, what is the reason for the name of your show? Are you huge fans of The Dark Knight Rises? And second, what would you suggest to a first-time reader as a quintessential Batman story that they absolutely must read? Thanks in advance for answering. You guys keep up the great work. Jeff. Well, Jeff, I don't know your last name, but um, thank you so much for for leaving us our very first email. I appreciate that. And uh, so far as the the questions you left... um, the reason for the name of your show. Well, people might not know this, but my um, my my lifelong career, uh, and and I'm actually out of it right this second, but I'm trying very hard to get back into it. Is I I'm a career firefighter, so I wanted kind of something that ties into into my my passion and my career. So that's where the fire rises came in. And uh, are we huge fans of the Dark Knight Rises? 
I like The Dark Knight Rises. I don't know that I'm absolutely in love with it, but I, I don't dislike it the way some do. But yeah, it's a. I think it's a great movie. And um, Joe, you're you're not. I don't know your your feelings on The Dark Knight Rises completely. What What do you think? Oh, I love The Dark Knight Rises. Um, yes. Are there problems with it where it might not hold up as well now? Because I know he gets uh, Dark Knight Rises gets criticized for some of the action or the fight scenes being a little awkward or whatnot. But I I still do love that movie. Um, I have a lot of love for that that friend or that trilogy. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely love that. Um, thank you, uh, Jeff, for the email. That was really nice of you to to send in an email. And yeah, I uh, yeah I I definitely. Oh, and it. sorry to, sorry to interrupt, Joe, but I actually Joe came up with the name of the show so joe gets the gets the credit there so thank you joe yeah yeah i was i was gonna throw that in on you just to bust your child but yes <laughs> uh, so when eric was eric was coming up with the the names of the show and i was like well i'm like all right you got to do something with the with firemen or something i'm like why not do this i'm like i don't know how you feel about the dark knight rises if you wanted that to you know be in the thing but obviously hey if someone found the show um you know, based on the name, that's really cool too. I know, uh, I don't know how you even search out podcasts without hearing about them through someone else, but that's really cool that he just found us, you know, randomly, uh, through a search. So that's, that's nice. Well, yeah. And I think that the key to that is having a Batman podcast at the end of the yeah. <laughs> title. Yeah, so. That's definitely smart. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as for the second question, what would you suggest to a first time reader as a quintessential, quintessential Batman story that they absolutely must read? That's a tough one because it, just it's, saying one, it's hard. It is hard. It, it, honestly, like, I think the key thing is first book. And to me, even though I've said before, The Long Halloween is probably my favorite book. If you're going to just pick up a book for the first time, to me, it's got to be Batman year one. But hmm. I'm going to throw a curveball here. Batman year one is great because it's only four issues. It's a great jumping on point for a a great origin story of Batman. But if you want to go crazy and get a cool origin story that's long and sweeping and it's, it's Eric and mine's favorite writer, go with Scott Snyder's uh, zero year. That is a lot of fun. Ooh, that's a very good suggestion. Nice. Okay. Well, yeah, it's, it's so hard because I hear a lot of people say like, um, what would you tell uh, uh, someone who's new to Batman? Uh, where would you tell them to begin? I hear a lot of people say stuff like uh, The Dark Knight Returns and things like that. I think The Dark Knight Returns is a horrible place for a first-time reader to read a Batman I, story. The first time I read Dark Knight Returns, it wasn't even my first Batman story, and I was still like, I don't know why everyone loves this. Like, It took me a lot of investment before I even appreciated The Dark Knight Returns, so I agree with you. Yeah, and and honestly, I think that you can put the long Halloween in the same boat because I don't think that's a good intro point to Batman. As gr- those are both iconic, legendary, and quintessential Batman stories, but I don't think it's where you should start. Honestly, I would suggest because it's in Batman's prime, it's a great story where you get lots of villains and and it just it's it's a fun Batman story. I would say Batman Hush. I can see that. I've read that as one of my early Batman stories as well. And I will mm-hmm. say I was kind of lost because I didn't know who half the people were. That's why I, but you don't really have to for the story. I mean, no, it's, it's really it's more about getting story. to know Batman. Yes. It's still a fun story. It's still great artwork. 
I'm just I'm the type of person that if I'm gonna pick up a book for the first time, mm-hmm. start from the beginning. Yeah, but well, I think you and, can and zero years are great. I, I I like that suggestion, Joe. Zero years a good answer. Yeah, that's kind of like the happy medium there because it's a long story, has a lot of interesting stuff in it. You get the Riddler for a for a uh, origin story of Batman, which is different than year one because year mm-hmm. one there is not um a main you know uh what do you call it like a a super villain yeah for sure but again thank you so much jeff we really appreciate you sending the email and uh we encourage others to send emails as well but that that is where we're going to tie a bow on this episode joe thank you so so much for coming on to talk about this this awesome new dc movie with me oh thank you for having me it was a lot of fun we didn't know i i know uh we didn't know if we were going to cover, uh, you know, I guess non Batman strict stuff, but I'm glad, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of branching out to do Batman adjacent a little bit with stuff like this, because it's, it's fun to get on here and talk about this. It absolutely is. Yeah. And you know, eh, the Corto Baltese is here. Harley Quinn's here. So it is Batman adjacent. So, and, and it was, it was a very fun conversation to have. Um, but Joe, where can uh, where can the folks find you if they want to find you out there on social media? I am on Twitter and Instagram as jforn11, and you can find me on Facebook as Joe Forno. Very very nice. And if you'd like to find me, my personal social media sites can be found um, at Twitter, Instagram, and Vero at me Carter eighty nine. That's M E Carter eighty nine. And if you'd like to find the show once again, that's facebook instagram and twitter at tfr bat pod um if you'd like to leave us an email like jeff did today you can reach us at tfr bat pod at gmail.com and if you would take a, a moment out of your day to leave us a rating and review on apple Podcasts, that would really help the show uh that gives us more exposure and more people like jeff can find us uh, we also have a presence on TeePublic, so if you go to TeePublic.com and search TFR BatPod, you can find our, our main logo is up there. For, for It's available for t-shirts, mugs, uh, mouse pads, lots of different stuff. So go to TeePublic and, and find us there. That's a, that's a great way to support the show. But until next time, we hope that you go out and see the Suicide Squad and enjoy it, and we will see you next time. was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with AT&T, Warner Brothers, or DC Comics. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the participants are solely theirs and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening. And that Nanawe is a descendant of an ancient shark god. Whatever the case, he's strong and deadly. Does it talk? Book read. Wow. <laughs>
looks upside down. See that? It's pretending to read a book. So smart, me. Enjoy books so much. Be a mind careful as he's developed a taste for human 